hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Does this stock market have in your belly feeling like you're sitting in the back of your grandfather's station wagon? Then you're in the right place because you're listening to Queer Money episode number 213. Today we're talking with Jillian and Stephanie of Our Freedom Years, a fun and informative YouTube channel about money. And they're joining us to talk about living the FIRE lifestyle, FIRE meaning financial independence retire early, and how to invest during volatile markets. If you're queer and wondering if financial independence and early retirement are available to you, or if the stock market has you feeling a little queasy, you'll love, love, love this episode. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer it in an upcoming episode. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. The foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. A bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score powered by Experian Boost and watch your credit score improve by 5 to 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash boost. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the show, Stephanie and Jillian. We appreciate you coming on Queer Money. Oh, thanks so much for having us today. We really look forward to speaking with you. Yeah, this is awesome. John and I love hearing uh, other queer individuals or couples or groups of individuals who are focused on some form of financial independence, uh, not necessarily always uh, in the FIRE movement, but uh, it's fun to have individuals come on the show because our listeners enjoy stories of what other folks are doing, they hear experiences, and it also gives us that sense of community within the LGBT community of individuals who are focused on some sort of financial empowerment or advancement, which is uh, not very common in our community. So thank you very much. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. So it looks like you, based on what was on your blog, that you fired or reached financial independence in 2019 and have been nomadic since then. Not including your current circumstances, how how has your life been since you did that? Yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll give you a, a little overview. So we we did reach financial independence and retire in October of 2019, and just before we reached that point, we were very busy planning. We we're very excited about this nomadic lifestyle, but we did have some concerns. So we were worried that one day we would wake up in Krakow, Poland, or in Istanbul, Turkey, and think what are we doing here? <laughs> what have we done with our lives? Is this the right thing? What happened to our jobs? What happened to our apartment? So it was something that was a little bit of a concern, even though, of course, we were so excited about our plan. So we, you know, we took off to Poland. That was our first stop after leaving Singapore, where we had been living for the past six years. We arrived in Poland started our new lifestyle, and we have never looked back. So nice. it has been just as, actually, much more exciting than we ever hoped it would be. We couldn't have even imagined how great it would be to be arriving in a new location. So it's usually every month or two we are in a new country. And that sense of wonder and excitement when we arrive in a new place, and we usually take the first couple days just to walk through the neighborhoods and see what it's like, see the street culture, see the the people, see the buildings. And it just, it does not get old. That feeling, <laughs> yeah, it just, it never gets tired at all. So, so we've really enjoyed this nomadic lifestyle. It, it really agrees with us. You know, I think that's the thing that most of us love about travel, right? Is the experiences, the being in a new place, enjoying the environment. And I think you put it that use the word wonderment very well here, because I think that's what most of us are, are 
are so inspired by travel because we get that sense of wonder of, oh, this is what it's like to be in this place or how people do things differently here or the environment or just the differences in culture are just so amazing that it's nice to get away from what we're so, what is our norm or what we're so used to and exploring something completely different. Absolutely. So the FIRE movement is relatively new to the LGBT community, it seems. David and I have been doing this blogging since about 2012. Is that when we started? <laughs> 2014. 2014. We've been doing it for a while. And at the, when we first started, there were few of us out there doing this, um, and even fewer people in the LGBT community firing. Where did you get this idea that, that this was available to you? What inspired you and who inspired you to do this? So the idea of retiring early was something I thought about, I think, from the first moment that I sat down behind a desk and realized I had to sit there and work all day and felt very trapped in that situation. I started thinking, is there some way that I could retire early or at least live a different kind of lifestyle? And thinking back, I was reading some blogs at the time that were probably from the very early days of the FIRE movement. Uh, they were Canadian blogs. One in particular, I remember, was called Million Dollar journey and there was a guy you know documenting his his way so i think we sort of forgot about that a little bit got caught up with with life you know we eventually bought a condo did the usual things as stephanie mentioned we finally went on to work in singapore and at some point when we were in singapore you know the, this started to bubble up again and i started thinking like really you know on paper we've we've made it we've achieved the things that we were hoping to we have the job we have the lifestyle but it wasn't really leading to satisfaction on a day-to-day -day basis and you know i was looking for something more so i started bringing these ideas up with stephanie and she was quite resistant in the beginning and I think one of the things that that made the difference was some of the more recent blogs that have come along. And I introduced her to some of these that really resonated, such as one called Our Next Life. Um, and then there were some like Go Curry Cracker and Millennial Revolution, which are fire bloggers who are also nomadic. And I think those were things that helped her. Yeah, those really resonated with me. And before before I encountered these blogs and saw other people who are professionals who found it in themselves to step away from their career, which is something that I just I couldn't even conceive of for myself, <laughs> but they somehow managed to do it and went on to have really happy, fulfilling, interesting lives. So that really struck a chord with me. And it, it was also a matter of timing for me, because for our entire relationship, Jillian had been yearning for that something different and had, had been studying numbers long before she knew of this term, financial independence or retire early. For me, the thought of stepping away from your career any sooner than 65, it was just inconceivable. I was so focused on <laughs> climbing that corporate ladder. Um, so it was really finding these other examples that made it possible in my mind for alternatives. And it coincided with a time when I was actually feeling very burnt out from that <laughs> high-powered career that I love so much. So the timing was good and then the resources were good as well. You also asked about the nomadic piece. And I think that the idea of living a nomadic life or being more open to that really came about once we were living in Singapore and we were meeting people who lived very international lives, who maybe were from one country, but had lived in several countries, maybe worked in different places. And so this idea that you don't just need to live and work in one country your whole life, you can actually do what you want. And for mm -hmm. us, we really enjoyed travel, enjoyed experiencing different places. And so we felt that the nomadic life could really be something for us. Nice. It's, yeah, it's definitely a, a paradigm shift because I think we're, we're raised from a very young age to get your high school diploma, get your degree be in a professional job, work until you're 65, save all your money, and then you can start to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and the fire movement's kind of flipping that on its head. Just a, a question for you both. One of the questions that comes up often, not in just uh, the LGBT community, although it has been asked several times in a Queer Money Facebook group, but we see this across the board with couples. How did you broach that subject or how did you get on the same page when it came to this desire to, to have a different lifestyle, to reach financial independence? Because it's, as, as you mentioned, one of you was a little resistant at the beginning. 
Yes, that's a great question because getting on the same page is obviously fundamental (laughs) if you want to then move on together and start a new chapter of your life together. So for me, it was really, as as I mentioned, it was a question of timing. So, you know, I was very committed to my career. I was very committed to the idea of, you know, continuing to have a paycheck, continuing to feel validated by, you know, growing in my career, climbing that corporate ladder. And I just had a very tough year Um, at one point working. I, I got a great job. It was so exciting, huge responsibilities. I loved it. Um, But then I found myself working every single weekend, every single evening. And there I was living in truly a beautiful tropical country with the whole of Southeast Asia there to discover. And I felt so chained to this job that I had wanted so much. So it was really that sense of burnout that made me open to having the discussion. So I do think that timing is really everything when you're having those conversations and also being very open with each other about attitudes and perceptions and behaviors related to money. So Jillian and I came from very different um, perspectives when it came to money. She had been, I don't think it's unfair to say this, she had been frugal from the start. She <laughs> learned it from her parents. She knew how to count every penny, every dollar. If she if she lost a dollar, you would never hear the end of it. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say I was a huge spender, but I, I was very vulnerable to any good marketing. If there was a nice brand, it was always worth paying a little bit more for. So we had to put these biases on the table and have an honest conversation about our expectations. And that really helped give us a bit of a shared place to then plan from. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're not too dissimilar to another couple I know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, there's quite a few couples that are this way. And that, the question came up in the Queer Money Facebook group this this week. A gentleman in the group, his husband is completely the opposite from him. And uh, he is wanting to and trying to get into uh, more of a fire lifestyle where his, hus- his husband maxes out his credit cards on a regular basis and enjoys spending. And he's trying to bring them together to towards some common goal or some common common financial goal. And uh, it's fun to hear the stories because I think that most of us, uh, when we're in relationships, don't come to the table exactly the same. And it's, it's good to hear, uh, all of us to hear these kinds of stories because sometimes it can give us the idea of how to talk to someone or even just saying, hey, listen to this, listen to this story. It uh, inspired me. We often say on this podcast, just blame it on the on the debt-free guys or blame it on the Queer Money podcast. If you're trying to talk to your partner about how to get on the same financially, you can certainly blame it on us. And I guess now you can blame it on Stephanie and Jillian. <laughs> and this is the very reason we created the Couples Money Guide, which any LGBT couple can access at debtfreeguys.com. <laughs> so you're on the Queer Money podcast to talk about investing in a volatile market and oh my lands. Yeah, this is perfect timing. Which which I think is, this is a great topic because we haven't covered this as thoroughly as I would have liked to at this point on queer money. Um, But I think it's a critical component for many of us who are in the FIRE community um, or people who are considering firing. So I think this is a great topic, especially at this time. So how exactly did investing play a role in your ability to FIRE? So investing is, we think, really instrumental in order to reach financial independence, because if you simply save and then keep that money in account, not generating any kind of interest or return, it's really going to take you that much longer. So having a good investment strategy in place is really fundamental. Well, I think many in our community struggle to even save, and not necessarily because they don't have the money to save. Um, they're just not putting a priority on the, on the savings. So I guess maybe the question's a little bit deeper. How did you find it in yourself, or where was the encouragement or the inspiration to say, "Hey, I want to I want to save a portion of my our income, and then put a portion of you know that into the stock market, and in in effect reduce the the current quality of my life, so I could have something bigger or better down the road." So I guess one of our advantages in our in our journey to financial independence is that we were both savers by nature. One of us did a, a bit better job of it, and I will I will say that's Jillian. So you know she 
had her very first job when she was in high school yeah, was being a lifeguard. lifeguard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Me too. <laughs> so I was making like $6 an hour and I think I was saving like 550 of it. I really, wow. um, yeah, I mean, I just always had it in me to save. I, I have my parents to thank for at least planting the seed that this is something I, I want to think about is tucking money away because I might need it for something else down the line. So for me, I was a saver. Um, I wasn't as good as Jillian, but when I had my first job out of school, I struck on the idea that it would be very important for me to put a little something aside every month, an automated payment into my retirement savings plan. So I did that from my mid-20s. And over time, the amount got a little bit bigger over time, but it grew very, very slowly. You know, I did have that in my nature that I, I would put that money aside even though, you know, along the way, I accumulated a little school debt and, and just sort of the natural things as you mature. Now, the one thing that I didn't really have a great handle on was how to invest. And that is something that I, I definitely want to give Jillian credit for because she really brought that investing savvy into our relationship. So if it was just up to me, I probably would have even now been handing money over every month to, you know, a financial manager who would then, you know, sell me into whatever fund was most profitable for his or her firm. And that would be the way I would handle my finances. But fortunately, Jillian was able to to bring a little bit more savvy into that. If I can just add on, before we talk about investing on the savings piece, I think that there was a real change for us when we discovered the financial independence retire early movement, that we really brought a lot more discipline to the saving at that time. And we did that by starting to track all of our spending and really think about where our money was going and how much we valued the things that we were spending money on. Mm -hmm. So whereas before we were in a very fortunate position that we were able to sort of save without putting a huge amount of effort in, as we really looked at the specific things we were spending on, we were really able to increase that savings rate a lot. And, you know, when you add up the total for a month, you might say, oh, um, I enjoy my morning coffee. I love to buy a coffee on my way into work. That's great. It's not expensive. But when you look at the whole month's spending and you say, actually, you know, that would be the equivalent to something else that I would much rather spend my money on, maybe whether we can get away or, or something, you know, then you're really like making those choices very actively. And I think that's the real thing that we got onto in the last few years that really allowed us to save that much more. I love that. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that we encourage individuals to do when they start their journey to becoming debt-free. The first thing that you should do is the spending analysis. The spending analysis really opens your eyes to where you spend your money and allows you to make adjustments so that you can change your life. You can change your lifestyle to have the future that you want. And it sounds like that you did this not necessarily from the perspective of wanting to get out of debt, but wanting to get ahead financially so you could make the decision to leave the job that was holding you down or get to the point where your investments were able to fund the lifestyle that you wanted. Yeah. So the, the principles really are the same, whether you're saving uh, or whether you're keeping some of your money to pay off debt or whether it is eventually able to accumulate for you. Either way, it's about making those uh, value judgments for yourself and being proactive in that respect. Yeah. So just a, a, out of curiosity, did you ever feel like you were missing out or you were jealous of what other people were able to do because you were putting more of your money into saving than, say, for example, having the fabulous life that you could possibly otherwise have? So we will confess, we, we were not always so frugal, of course. So especially when we moved to Singapore, we were living there as expats for six years. And there is... I can I have to say just a lot of money kind of swishing around Singapore in terms of, you know, there are a lot of expats there. Many people are there for a short while. Um, it's a wealthy economy. So there are so many ways to spend your money. And we were not immune to that. So we definitely had a few years while we were there where we were spending more. We had those lovely brunches out on Sunday with friends where you just drop a bunch of money and you never look back. Um, great dinners out, weekend trips. So we did, you know, we did 
did have a phase where we really enjoyed things. Fortunately, we we were still applying in the back end where it wasn't visible. We were still applying enough discipline to our savings that we, you know, we were still, you know, generally on track with our financial goals. So it was a huge shift for us. When we decided we're not going to live this way anymore, if we do the right thing by our finances, we could actually be exiting our jobs, you know, within a certain time frame, let's really get serious. So then we took a few years to really start cutting back on all of those things that we had been enjoying. But what we did is we substituted them with alternatives that we discovered were equally amazing. So instead of going out with friends and you know spending so much money on incredible dinners, we invited people over and we made dinners together and we had fun theme nights. So we were able to actually, I would even say, improve the quality of our lives and even, you know, give something back to our friends by doing things a different way. And that really made all the difference. So we never felt that we were hard done by. We always felt that we were forcing ourselves to be a bit more creative in what we were doing. So we weren't having as much, you know, of the sort of traditional fun, but we were actually having a lot more authentic fun. Yeah, nice. I, I love that. Uh, so two things here. First of all, I've been to Singapore. Is Singapore is a shopper's dream or nightmare. There are <laughs> shopping malls everywhere in Singapore. I get the whole idea of seeing the money everywhere because when we were there, it seemed like every mall was full of Coach and Gucci and yes, all yeah. of the high-end stuff. It's just this constant dangling right in front of your face saying, buy me, buy me, buy me. So kudos to you for being able to basically be able to say, I don't need that. Second, I love the whole idea that there is an alternative. There is a substitute that can be just as good and sometimes better than one that costs you a lot more. And I think that that's one of the hardest parts is people being able to get a little creative or actually to just be patient enough to think through what it would take to have just as much fun with half, 75% less, 90% less spending and still have that amazing or great life. We would really encourage people to experiment uh, because this is something that we found very helpful. Sometimes there would be something that we would say, well, this is so important to us. We do not want to give this up. But maybe we'll just try something for one month, see how it feels. And in some cases, we were surprised, maybe if we use our gym as an example. So we're, we were very active doing CrossFit for many years, and we were part of a, a CrossFit gym that came at quite a steep price. And although we were really enjoying that experience, we thought that was an area that maybe we could try something different. So we joined a much lower cost gym for one month. And in the end, we felt very empowered to be able to be designing our own workouts at that point. And, you know, we just found we were very open to that change. Now, there were some other experiments that sometimes we said, actually, you know, we really value, say, having that, you know, one meal out every so often or whatever the case may be, something that we we decide, no, this is worth the money because it's not just about cutting out all your expenses, no matter what, make yourself miserable for some later time, you really need to find a balance between, you know, your enjoyment now and your enjoyment later. So yeah, those experiments, I think were really helpful for us. Absolutely. John and I said that when we were trying to get out of debt, that we knew that if we didn't enjoy our lives, we wouldn't continue on the path to getting debt free. And I think that mm-hmm. goes. Th- that's the case with any sort of financial goal. If you cut back so restrictively that you're not enjoying life, then you're probably going to find that you're going to have setbacks because you're going to want to find some enjoyment in life and it may end up being in a way that is not financially advantageous. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. So now I think it's time to get back to the investing <laughs> side, right? Because <laughs> that's that's what all of this, this was for for you was to start the investing process. So when it came to that decision to start investing, how did you decide what kind of investing that you were going to do? How did you manage your investments? 
So our investments have been a, a bit of a journey. As was mentioned, I was quite active from the beginning in terms of saving and did get that money working for me, even from like a very early age buying. Uh, we have like GICs, which which are fixed income type investments. Um, eventually, Stephanie and I had mutual funds, which we purchased you know, by having a financial advisor and these kinds of things. Now we're into our own stage where we are DIY investors and we have our own approach, which, yeah, I guess we're going to get into that today. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Want to be a part of the $1.7 trillion LGBT business economy? The National LGBT Chamber of Commerce New York is here for you. For your next big contract, mentor, coach, collaborator, and tons of new clients, join us at nglccny.org for the greatest concentration of LGBT and allied business leaders in New York. Yeah, so we we have an approach that kind of underlines everything we do, and it is based on all those many years of trial and error. So we did have a very exciting journey to get to the strategy that we have landed on that works for us today. So so Jillian touched on a few of the things that we dabbled with. We also looked at doing some stock picking in um, emerging technology markets, which would have been a, just a terrible idea. <laughs> we considered doing uh, what we actually did do, investing in the energy sector. We thought we could do a little market timing. So, you know, kind of like duck in and duck out and see how we could do with that. Fortunately, we did not lose a lot of money. We earned a very small amount and we learned a lesson to never try that again because we could get in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Um, So those were all helpful experiments in getting us to where we are today. So we have a few principles that we now are are sticking with. We find that they're working well for us. They, They helped us get to financial independence. And this is also the strategy that we're using as we move forward. So the first part of it is what Jillian already mentioned about being DIY investors. And for us, this just means that we have to be accountable for our own financial literacy. We have to be accountable for our own decisions. So we that keeps us from investing in things that we don't understand. Because we, we if we don't understand it, then we really shouldn't get involved because at the end of the day, we are responsible. Mm-hmm. The other piece of it is a buy and hold approach. So there there is no more dipping in and out of anything. There's no <laughs> panic buying or selling or you know, trying to time the market, we are getting in and we're going to be staying for the long term, which in our minds is at least 10 years, but, you know, obviously even a longer time horizon behind that. We are also making regular contributions. So we're doing, uh, you know, dollar cost averaging where each month, same time, you buy equities, the same spend on that. Whether the market's up or down, yes. like don't even look at it because that just makes it difficult. It's about making those regular contributions, knowing that over time that the market is going to go up. Right. And gotcha. that really helps to take the emotions out of the, the decision making. And then the final piece of it, uh, and this part is also very important to us, is that we are diversified. So we're no longer trying to pick some individual stock, hoping that we have somehow, you know, picked a winner and that's going to be the one to make it. Instead, we are buying a tiny slice of the global market. So we, we're, we're trying to be as diversified as possible with our investments. Yeah. That's part of the reason why we really are, are glad that you're on the show today is to talk about this, taking the emotion out of investing. Because I think that's the reason why many people either hesitate to invest or get out of investing is because they're just, it becomes so emotional. They watch money go up and down. They watch their potential future get close and then further away and then close again and then further away. And so I think that's the important factor here is if you want to reach a goal, And if you're just starting out with FIRE, it may be a while until you're able to reach that. So I think it it took you roughly, what, about seven or eight years? I mean, it would have been, I mean, ultimately, the journey started as soon as we had no more student debt. So it was more than 15 years in total. Okay, Uh, We didn't really stumble upon the whole FIRE community until around two years ago. So our actual sort of FIRE journey was just, you know, quite a bit shorter, but we had already 
laid all the groundwork and, and done a lot of saving and investing at that point. So, so yeah, it still was not a short journey, more than 15 years of work, but relatively short when you consider, you know, traditional uh, retirement timeframes. Absolutely. So, so then if you're thinking about this, this idea of putting that out there of retirement, if you're in your 20s or 30s or even your 40s and you want to be able to retire in the next 10 to 15 years, this whole idea of getting the emotion out of it is an important factor here. So when you look at the, at what's going on in the market right now, are you doing anything different? So in short, no. And I think that this <laughs> nice. piece about the emotions was something that I struggled with quite a bit. So even though I was the one doing the investing, a lot of the time I actually struggled to kind of pull the trigger or click the button to, to make the buy. <laughs> and there were times earlier on before we were really um, talking about these things a lot together that our savings were accumulating. And I, I kept thinking, oh, well, the market's going up and it's been going up for so many years, like I'm going to wait for a dip. But the reality was I was, you know, just on the sidelines during that time and and not getting the money to work for us. So at a certain point, we sat down and agreed to a game plan. We figured out an overall sort of risk management strategy or, or our investment strategy, and we agreed to it. We wrote it down. And now, uh, you know, whenever I, I squirm, if I look at the, the market and, and aren't too sure about that regular contribution, Stephanie just gives me a look and, <laughs> and I know what I need to do. So yeah, I think really sitting down, agreeing on it very firmly, writing it down, those are things that can really help you to actually execute on the on the plan. I think that's great because I, th I think one of the keys to investing, as you've said, is to take the emotions out of it. And the principles apply regardless of whether the markets are down or whether the markets are up. And in the Queer Money Facebook group, when the pandemic was spreading across the globe and markets were starting to crash, a lot of people were were panicking about their investments, but it was interesting that there was a percentage of uh, the members who were talking about actually using this as an opportunity to buy. And there, are, David and I have noticed over the years of investing ourselves and being in financial services that there's always these different pools of people who respond to different crises in a different way. And we did a poll in the Queer Money Facebook group last week to ask how those people who bought at the low after the COVID pandemic was spreading across the country, how they felt about their investments today, because we've seen a complete change in the stock markets around around the globe right now. And so we were just curious, how were people still stressing about their investments and their purchases at that time? And uh, we gave them four options to say that they felt great about their investments, good about their investments, meh about their investments, or horrible. I thought it was interesting that nobody said that they felt met or horrible. <laughs> Everybody hmm. was feeling good or great. We had 15 people say they felt great. Six people said they felt good. Rio said that she said, I'm up. More importantly, I feel like I passed a, an investing milestone by going through my first hazing <laughs> in the <laughs> stock market. And then Alfonso said, I actually started to invest last month in the stock market and, and I'm focusing on stocks under $5. So I think it's interesting how... Everybody gets all all verklempt, right? When 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 things start going bad and they start pulling out of the market and they don't want to invest anymore. But there's always those pools of people, especially we've seen it with traders when we worked in the trading desk. There's always those pools of people who are going to buy at the low, and not always, but more often than not, in the long run, maintaining that strategy proves beneficial. I mean, it's great to hear of people who are, you know, getting active and making investments. So that's very positive. You mentioned about buying at the low, but the thing is, we don't actually really know when a low is happening. Right now, the market has gone up from where it was. We don't know where it's going to go in the future. So that's the thing. We can't make those kind of judgment calls, you know, only hindsight's twenty twenty. So for us, we really are sticking firm to that concept of just buying regularly, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. We know the overall trend over time will be up. So that's our that's our strategy. Yeah. And to be true, yeah, you can't time the high or you can't time the low. And that's why dollar cost averaging by and large over history tends to work out for people. But mm -hmm. I just, just think it's interesting of, of when the markets do crash like that, you have two different kinds of responses or mm -hmm. two different kinds of investors. And very often people will pull out and some will just go in. Yeah. It's nice that they're 
feeling good or uh, feeling yes. great about what's going on. And that's primarily because the markets are up. But I think that uh, the whole idea of using every opportunity or advantage that you have is an important thing. You know, there are going to be times when you're going to get scared and you're going to want to take money out. I will admit I hold several uh, big tech stocks. And when the market took a hit, I was worried that it was going to be a permanent hit to our portfolio, or I don't want to say necessarily a permanent hit because I don't think it would ever be a permanent hit, but it would be a long time before the market came back. And I'm surprised that it has come back so quickly. Now, that doesn't mean that's going to stay that way, but let's hope that it continues to increase. But I love your comment or this idea, and I think more people, and especially in the LGBT community, need to think about this, that over the long term, there has traditionally been an upward movement in the stock market. So whether you're able to invest $5 a week or $500 a week, getting in there, you will over the long term see growth. And that's why John and I always are encouraging individuals, whether it's through your employer-sponsored retirement plan or through tools like Betterment or Robinhood or some investing application or even a, a broker, please, you need to start investing if you want to have a better financial future. Yeah, absolutely. We agree with you 100%. So I'd like to go a little bit more granular if, if possible on your process. How exactly do you do your research and, and pick your investments? Are, what Do you use certain platforms, watch certain investors, news reports? Exactly where are you doing your research and, and how do you decide, okay, now I'm going to buy this particular investment or I'm going to sell this particular investment? Sure. So our investment portfolio is a mix of equities and fixed income. And when it comes to equities, it's actually about as straightforward as you can get because we only purchase one thing. We buy a low cost index fund and it is a slice of the overall global market. So this is over 3000 companies in 47 countries. And so we just feel that a rising tide floats all boats. If the market's going to go up over time, that as long as we buy and hold that, then we're also going to you know, benefit. So that makes it pretty straightforward. If, if a company's not doing so well, they fall off the list. If there are new companies coming up, then you know, we're automatically getting invested. And so, yeah, it, we basically make those purchases through, we have an online trading account that we just go on and purchase through, but people can purchase exchange traded funds or the mutual fund versions directly through Vanguard, for example, they have a platform or other online brokerages. There's a, a variety of ways for them to access it. Thanks. And how much time would you say you put into doing your research and, and managing your portfolio on whatever makes sense, a weekly or a monthly basis? Mm -hmm. I would say the the research was done more upfront and it was the product of all these years of experience that that we described where we where we were more trying to be a lot more active looking at by sector we also dabbled in REITs and we finally landed on something that would be a lot more simple for us where we wouldn't need to put that ongoing effort in. Now, I know, I know some people really enjoy that, but mm -hmm. I was not actually one of those people. I, <laughs> I, I felt stressed out, you know, trying to figure out, understand what an individual company's business is, trying to read their financial statement. All of that was not for me. For some people, that's a hobby, not for me. So for me, <laughs> once we figured out this approach of wanting to be highly diversified and invested globally, we just looked up what would be, you know, a good representative fund for that. And there are many different funds available. And that's about it. Now that we're settled on which one, we literally spend 30 seconds. I just open my app. I've got the money that I've transferred in for the month. I hit buy and, and it's done. It's just as simple as that. So for us, you know, the actual investing is not a hobby for us. Our hobby is going out and doing other things. So for us, we, we love the very fast and easy route. Yeah. And you know, you bring up a good point that for some people, they do enjoy it. But mm -hmm. it also adds that especially during times like this during volatile markets, it adds that layer of stress and anxiety, because you're watching your individual stocks, if you are purchasing individual stocks, like like I do sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, you watch them go up and down and up and down. And you think, okay, is do I need to trade it out for something better? You know, when you're in a global market, index fund like you're in, 
you really can't do that. I mean, you could sell off the fund, but then what would you buy? You'd have to then go to something that maybe causes you even more anxiety or risk. You're just kind of like you said, riding the tide as it comes in and out. And uh, whereas other individuals seem to be constantly there trying to surf it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a great yeah. analogy is for that. But yeah. if you're out there in investing and you don't enjoy it or you want things to be more simple, an approach like Stephanie and Jillian's is an awesome approach because it can be very simple. You don't have to complicate investing, but if you want to and enjoy it, then go for it, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. And the volatility on the market is, you know, even if you're very diversified, it's still not easy to see when the market drops and you still get that exhilaration when it goes up. And so the other piece I mentioned is we have our fixed income investments, which help smooth out that volatility in our overall portfolio. So that's, you know, an important piece for, for us as well. So if you'd like me to elaborate a little on the fixed income side, so most people or the most common kind of fixed income investments that you would hear about would be, uh, I guess, bonds, corporate or government bonds. For us, we're invested in something a little bit different. We're invested in syndicated mortgages. And these are mortgages for construction loans. And they provide us regular interest payments. And that's actually what fund our day-to-day -day living expenses. So the benefit of this is we're not actually having to sell off any equities to fund our day-to-day -day costs. So when the market is low, we're not like, oh, okay, well, maybe we'll hold off on selling and try and make do, you know, wait for it to come back. Actually, no, we can just leave it there. We have this other income stream that is coming in the interest payments so that it really uh, helps us to feel less stressed during these volatile uh, times. It's interesting. So, uh, so let me dig into that a little bit. You're investing in syndicated Syndicated mortgages, which basically means these are large mortgages for construction projects. When a builder would like to start construction, they need to seek financing during the construction phase. These mortgages are for large amounts, and they can be split up between many, many different investors. So each investor only needs to put a little bit in, but they can still benefit from the opportunity. And what we do is we participate in many of these different mortgages. So we're actually spreading out our money across and creating some diversification in, in that way so that we have like little, little pieces of all these, these mortgages. Now, I'm raising this. This is not necessarily something for everyone. For some reason, I'm less willing to spend the time researching on the equity side, but I don't mind digging into the details of, of these. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. Go figure, right? So we certainly have things that we look for, specific things in terms of managing our risks on these types of investments. But overall, we find it's a really good way for us to diversify away from equities or anything that's equity linked. And of course, the benefit of receiving the interest payments, uh, it really helps us to feel comfortable since we're no longer receiving salary paychecks. Instead, we re receive these interest payments. Nice. And so are these syndicated mortgages for commercial or residential loans or is it both? Ours are mostly residential for the most part. And so I'm wondering, is there a, what kind of risk do you have relative mm -hmm. to the performance of, of the real estate market? Is, are they closely paralleled? So there would be some link. It's not direct, completely directly linked, but still closely linked. But we, we have some different risk mitigation. So for example, we would only invest as a first mortgage. So we're always first in line in case something happens and the proper needs to be sold. We're first in line to be paid back mm -hmm. as opposed to being like a second mortgage. And we keep a real close eye on the amount that's being loaned out compared to the value of the property. So keep keep those ratios so that we know even if the markets fall, you know, 30, 40%, that there's still the equity in the property to be able to pay back. I could go quite into detail about all the things we look for, but but that's why I say it's not necessarily for everyone, but it's an area that we have found to be very good for us. Our reason for going into this as opposed to the more common kind of fixed income you hear about is because the return is quite a bit better in the neighborhood of sort of 7 8%. It, it basically is about similar to what you would get from equities. So for that reason, we were holding more. I would say if we had just been in bonds, we would probably have a larger proportion uh, of our investments into the equity side because mm -hmm. you really need that kind of return, like what you would see on the markets over time. Uh, but fortunately, there are some different options in terms of fixed income as well. 
So what they're talking about is an asset allocation, and they've got a percentage of their portfolio invested in the stock market, the stuff you see on CNBC going up and down every day. But they're offsetting that with investments in fixed income, particularly these syndicated mortgages, which if I caught correctly, you're definitely buy and hold with the, the equities, but with the syndicated mortgage, that's more so acting as your income stream. So that's covering your, your daily living expenses. Yes, that's correct. And with those, in a way, it is more active because these are shorter term loans. So the turnover usually in less than a year. So we're always looking at the new opportunities Mm -hmm. and doing some buying and selling through a broker. We're working with a broker that's very trusted and that we've been working with for quite a few years. So yeah, that's become a a firm part of our, our strategy as well. I find this very interesting because uh, the, the as you mentioned, more often than not, the income portion for most individuals when it comes to the FIRE movement is that they are invested in either income stocks that pay large income or dividends so that they have some sort of income or they're invested in some sort of bond so that that is also paying off some sort of dividend and that gives them some sort of income. So you've looked for a different type of investment that does the same but actually is giving you a better return. And when it comes to living or your daily living expenses, that means that you're not having to be looking at what should we be selling right now to make enough money that we can live off of? You're just living off of the income, which is is nice because that I think also helps remove some of the emotion when it comes to the volatility in the markets, right? You're not having to say, okay, are we selling during a downtime period when it's not great for us to sell? But you're able to say, well, we just have this steady stream of income. That's exactly right. So this is a key part of our risk management strategy. So, you know, having given up our jobs and given up our paychecks, it was very important for us starting this new life to be able to protect our cash flow coming in. So we wanted to make sure that we still feel we have ready access to the cash that we need for our daily expenses. So having this portfolio set up has really given us some great peace of mind. So, you know, even though Jillian's on her phone checking those stocks, trying to see, (laughs) oh goodness, what's happening now? We know ultimately this is a 10-year time horizon, could be 15 years before we're going to be even looking at that money. Um, So we're, we're very happy to have that confidence in our our financial future. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. I'm glad you shared that because you know, we haven't actually talked about investing much on this podcast and we definitely haven't talked about syndicated mortgages. It's actually the second <laughs> time that it's been brought up to us in the last couple of months. And we also have a, an acquaintance who is a broker w- with these types of uh, syndicated mortgages. So we may be having another conversation with him about these. <laughs> <laughs> so Great. Uh, Just to kind of dial back a little bit, how did you start your investment education? Like what was like the first book or resource you went to when you thought this might be something you want to get into? I'm just thinking of our listeners who this might be a whole new concept to them. And we obviously don't want to throw the the syndicated mortgages textbook at them. (laughs) (laughs) What what, what was your first foray into, into investing education? You know, that might even be a better question for me because obviously I came into the relationship a little less savvy about investments. And over the last couple of years, I really felt the need to catch up and be able to be an active financial manager alongside Jillian. So one of the resources that I found to be particularly helpful is from within the financial dependence community. So that's JL Collins. He has a great, you're probably very familiar with him. He has a great series, the stock series which I believe he originally wrote as a series of letters to his daughter. So you can imagine that he was trying to make investing, uh, particularly in the stock market, as simple and accessible as possible. And I found it to be a really great introduction for me into, you know, what are some good principles when you look at investing for the long term? And in fact, I found his work to be so helpful that I even passed it along to my mother, who <laughs> would never be the kind of person who would ever look at a blog like that. But it did, it also helped her think a little bit more. And I think that's something that's quite important is that accessibility because mm-hmm. the world of investing can be extremely complex and I think quite intimidating. And because it's intimidating, you know, a lot of people give up 
and they say, you know, my friend's brother is a financial manager and I'll just hand the whole thing over to him. So people don't feel that they can be equipped to manage their own finances when in fact, um, especially if you're, you're doing something with equities the way that we are, it's so simple. It's so easy to do. And it really is a solid long-term strategy. So of course, you know, people have to find the, the right strategy for them, but it can be that straightforward. And that's, you know, that's what I look for in a resource. Nice. Thank you. So as we wrap up here, I, I wanted to ask you, when you look at the LGBTQ community and you look at the progress uh, that we've made in aspects of our lives, it seems uh, that to me personally, or to John and I, that that the uh, aspirational side of our lives is something that more and more of us are now starting to see as an opportunity. For individuals who are listening who may want to get into investing or may want to investigate financial independence, whether that includes retiring early or not, what would you encourage them to do? How would you encourage our listeners to to take the next step? I think one of the best first steps for anyone who wants to try to get uh, better management over their financial picture, the first step really is to track spending. You know, we touched on it before, but I think it can be repeated again and again. Until you know where your money is going, then you really won't be in a position to make any changes or to take on that management. So, so definitely tracking spending we would recommend as the best first step. Nice. And if any of our listeners are looking for a way to do that, you can download the spending analysis at debtfreeguys.com. Perfect. Cool. Uh, And you also have a blog and mostly, uh, more more excitingly, I think, a YouTube channel. Can you uh, you elaborate on where our listeners can follow you and your travels and all your money advice? Sure. So yes, we have uh, we have a YouTube channel, we have Instagram feed, and we also have a blog. So a lot of the action, of course, happens on our YouTube channel. So we really do bring people along for the ride as we are exploring new countries and also sharing some of the basic financial how-tos, things that we have learned, things that have worked for us in reaching financial independence. So they can look up our Freedom Years on YouTube, on Instagram, and also our, our blog is there as well. That's awesome. And I love the balance that you two have because not only do you show like, here's how we, you know, here's how we budget and here's how we're investing and here's all the, the money stuff that we're doing. But then you also show here's the trade off. This is what we're getting from it because we get to travel to these countries and experience these, these new cultures and have these new adventures. So um, I think it's a, it's a great resource for people because it's it not only educational, but as David said, it's also inspirational and it shows people what they can strive for or work towards if they, if they so choose. Yeah, for sure. I think thinking about the reason for saving investing is really the thing that will keep you motivated for the future. So yeah, keeping an eye on that lifestyle that you that you hope to enable in the future, not just the lifestyle today to get that balance. That's really the key thing. Awesome. Well, Stephanie and Jillian of Our Freedom Years, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Jillian and Stephanie shared a ton of super helpful information on queer people reaching financial independence and early retirement and on investing in volatile stock markets. So here's your queer money takeaway from this particular episode. Don't even worry about early retirement. Just know that financial independence is available to you no matter how queer you are. So decide what you want your life to look like, which may or may not include early retirement. Then figure out what you need to do to get there. Invest save more, start a small business, climb that ladder, whatever, you can do it. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please email your money questions to questions at debtfreeguys.com or post them in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we may answer it in an upcoming episode. Thank you. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Remember, the foundation for living fabulously, not fabulously broke, is a good credit score. A good credit score can save you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. Bad credit score can cost you tens of thousands of dollars and cause you to miss out on other great opportunities. Sign up for the free Improve or Build Your Credit Score 
powered by Experium Boost and watch your credit score improve between 5 and 50 points in 15 minutes. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash boost. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.